Hi, everyone, and welcome to the WIM podcast. Women in Influencer Marketing, or WIM for short, is a first-of-its-kind exclusive networking group made up of inspirational women. This podcast is where we explore influencer marketing, advertising trends, and get real about women in business. Our mission is to network, to foster leaders within this exciting industry, and to share information to make our work stronger. That's where this podcast comes in. We'll bring you fresh perspectives on timely topics facing the industry from expert voices in the space. Find us wherever you download podcasts. And of course, you can always find us at IamWim.com. That's IamWim.com. Today, we're speaking with Natasha Vacare, the Vice President of Talent Partnerships and Influencer Strategy at Refinery29, which is the leading lifestyle digital media company for millennial women with a loyal following of over 25 million monthly visitors. At Refinery29, Natasha works with influencers across social platforms to grow and involve alignment with these digital content creators. At Refinery29, she works with influencers across social platforms to grow and evolve alignment with these digital content creators. Natasha has an incredible background, having worked at some of the top companies in the industry, such as Style Hall and UTA. As the head of talent acquisitions at Style Hall, Natasha signed over 2,000 creators and 100 million monthly views to the network. She's definitely someone I've admired for years and have been fortunate enough to establish a nice friendship with. I would certainly describe you as a boss babe, and I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Welcome, Natasha. So the one thing that I absolutely have always loved about this industry is that everyone arrives at it from a different place. And you have a very unique background, Natasha, in that you switched careers from investment banking to influencer marketing. So I'd love to hear more about your career path and how you made it to where you are today. Sure. So um, I started in investment banking out of college. Um, It was kind of the best job I could get out of school, very competitive. Um, And I was a business undergrad, so it kind of made sense. Um, So I did that for a few years. And while I learned a lot, I knew it kind of wasn't what I was going to do ultimately. Um, I didn't find it to be that creative. um, And I found it to be, um, you know, a long process for things to actually happen. So we'd spend a really long time working on a project and nothing would ever, you know, come to fruition. And I think that was a frustration of mine, like to not see the outcome of what we were working on. Um, So I picked up and moved to LA um, and I worked at E! Entertainment in business development. And this was like in the early days of mobile and things kind of changing in that space Um, and business development correlates very strongly to investment banking because you spend a lot of time looking at different outcomes, seeing how you can, you know, move the needle a little bit. um, How can you change a business? um, What other industries are out there doing what you're doing, et cetera. So I did that for a little while. um, And I learned a lot about the entertainment space. um, And from there, I ended up going back into investment banking briefly and then ended up in business development at UTA. Um, in the digital space. So I spent a lot of time um, at UTA working with new clients, um, not working you know, with talent per se, um, but I would work with them tangentially. So we would work on um, you know, a business entity that tied somehow to talent. And from there, I kind of sparked interest in working with talent and also working at a startup. Um, I realized that I wanted to go to a small place that I could actually make an impact and learn a little bit more about the business hands-on, like kind of 360. Um, 
And so I ended up, um, a friend of mine was working at this startup at the time called Style Hall. Um, it was a YouTube um, MCN, um, which kind of exists today, but not, um, you know, at the time we were there, it was kind of the height of this space. Um, so I took a leap of faith and went over there not knowing anything about YouTube or influencer marketing or anything of the sort. Um, and I kind of dove in and ended up staying there for three years and um, ran talent acquisitions there. And I signed thousands of YouTube channels to the network. And I learned a lot about the space um, and got to know a lot of YouTube talent um, that you know still exists today. Um, but at the time, they were brand new in the space. So it, it taught me a lot about what was going on. And we kind of grew together. Um, and it's very nice now, years later, because I actually still have relationships with a lot of them. And I've known them since they started. And it's very interesting to see kind of what's happened to a lot of them in their careers and businesses. Um, and then I got approached from um, a former colleague of mine at UTA, introduced me to my um, to my uh, new boss at Refinery. Um, and he ended up hiring me and I've been here ever since. That's awesome. And what a trajectory. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, I love your unique story. I mean, investment banking to an MCN, you know, well, to, you know, business development at UTA and like slowly and surely transitioning to where you are today. And I have to say, you know, I, I heard you made the comment about, you know, some style hall people and, and sort of interesting um, uh, you know, where everybody sort of ended up. I've had the experience that it's like, it's like, it's like Style Hall University. <laughs> and like yeah. all these people who graduated from Style Hall have moved on to be doing like such incredible things, like really, really impressive things. Um, so yeah, yeah it's so it, whoever did their hiring during like a certain set of years <laughs> was like, they, they should, you know, I would hire them to do my hiring. Yeah. I mean, they, no, it was a great group. I agree. Yeah. It was a, it was a special moment in time that I think that all of us, really favored and we're all still very close even though we all work at different places now but um there was a moment in time there that you know was definitely really special and i think we were all really new in the space we were learning a lot it was mostly females um it was a really you know interesting time and and it all you know led us to where we are today so i love that um, yeah it was great i love that and so i don't know just like uh, thoughts from from on that i mean what what um what if you could articulate what that magic was all about like why was there a moment of time when you know these these women you were saying it was predominantly female you know were really doing incredible work and personalities gelled and um there was just like incredible things happening like can you articulate a little bit of what you attribute that to sure so i think it was a combination of of you know really great things and and not so great things i think there was um, you know, some, some definite issues at the company at the management level that there were changes, there were, you know, people kind of changing in and out. And I think underneath kind of that senior management, there was, you know, everyone else kind of working and we realized we kind of needed to band together to make things happen. Um, I also think, again, it was a small group. We all had different backgrounds um, and we, we kind of pulled together to figure out how to make this work. Um, and because we were a startup, we were small and kind of scrappy and, and we sort of figured it out together. Um, and, and I think that was what made it so interesting, um, was that we, we kind of, we were in survival mode. We had to figure out how to make it successful, you know, how to navigate through something that we really didn't know what we were doing or, um, or how, you know, how, where it was going to end up. 
the space was really new. People were getting paid a lot of money for, you know, running ads on their YouTube channels. And, you know, how did we keep that going? And how did we provide a service to these people? And sometimes we were dealing with, you know, 12 year old girls and and their parents who had no idea what was going on. Um, And so we kind of had to navigate through this whole space. And I think that's what brought us so, you know, close together. Yeah. Um, I love that. So I think that was kind of, that was kind of the special bond that we all had. Yeah, absolutely. And if you could sort of, you know, uh, in today's world, you know, I'm sure you're hiring people, obviously your company's hiring people. What attributes do you look for, you know, when you're hiring to sort of recreate some of those moments or just to take from experiences that that you've had of, you know, employees underneath you, people working for you? Um, You know, what qualities do you look for in, in, in successful people that to work with? Yeah, so I think um, it's a very good question, and it's something that, you know, we have a lot of inbound requests for people that want to work at Refinery, which is a wonderful thing, but um, we have the luxury of being, you know, particular about who we hire. Um, I think that, for me, the biggest thing is really, you know, people doing their homework and understanding, you know, what they're going in for, whether it be a really junior position. I had an intern who did such an incredible job being an intern and worked so hard that we ended up hiring her. Um, I think, you know, having that drive and, and kind of really being passionate and, and doing your homework and, and being humble is really, really important in, in, for me, at least in hiring people. Um, and I think, you know, obviously finding the right cultural fit is really important. So um, finding, you know, for the company as a whole um, and that bring, you know, interesting different perspectives is, is really important. Yeah. So I would say those are the two things I look for the most. So many people listening to this are like writing all of these notes down because they would love to work for <laughs> you and for, you know, this great company like Refinery29. So tell us a little bit more about Refinery29 today. I mean, it's been around for a while at this point, and I'm sure it's evolved over that period of time. So like, tell us a little bit how it's evolved and, you know, how your company specifically works with influencers today. Yeah, so um, I've been at the company for four years, and we've been around since 2005, so not that long in the grand scheme of things, but um, obviously the brand is very well known. Um, I think we've morphed. Before I started, I was a big fan of Refinery. I read um, the newsletter every day, um, and, you know, I was a a fan before I became an employee, Um, and since, you know, since I joined, you know, we've really morphed into much more than just um, a site. We're, you know, we're a next generation media company so um, that caters to women. So we have a huge experiential business. Um, we have a huge video business. Um, we are doing originals. Um, we create short films. Um, we, you know, are on a lot of different social platforms. Um, and, you know, we tend to all of those pieces. Uh, and talent is kind of integrated into all of those things. So I work, I oversee all of our branded talent programs. So everything with talent that sits on site on Refinery or on any of our platforms or sits off site. So that you may not even know that Refinery is brokering the deal, but the brand that we work with in some capacity on our site. So um, it's really interesting. And then, of course, um, with Experiential, we, we create a lot of events for other brands and for our own brand. Um, and we activate talent in that capacity as well. So um, we leverage talent, and I use the word talent as opposed to influencers because we don't just work with influencers. We work with traditional celebrities. We work with tastemakers. Um, we work with professionals that 
you know, have some type of a social following. So it's much broader than the word influencer. Um, but we cast them, you know, across all different, um, you know, areas of our business. What do you think of the word influencer? A lot of people feel like they don't even want to use the word. <laughs> um, I'm not opposed to it, but I do think there's sometimes a difference between an influencer and talent. Oh, 100%. Um, I think there, you know, I think there are people that are very influential, but not necessarily what I would say talent. Um, and then I think there are people that are talent, um, but not necessarily influencers. And then I think there are people that kind of do both. There um, are, yeah. So I think, you know, I, I think they're both, I, I don't think they're interchangeable, um, but I think they both mean something. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I see, you know, more and more the, you know, blending both worlds. Um, that's because that's the ideal situation. Like my background is working with actors and exactly what you said, yeah. like some of them don't really understand the social media world or they think it's like selling out to a certain extent to be on social in of some course. instances because they come from this traditional, you know, they went to school for years to study their craft and they're like, you know, I'm not getting in on a job just because I don't have followers on Instagram. Um, but then, of course, you know, the modern day artist is, you know, understanding, of course, the huge value add of being able to cultivate these communities, um, recognizing that you can do it so effectively on a social media platform um, and taking full advantage of it. So I feel like in yeah. the future, I mean, my goal would be to see more of the two you know, melding together because at the end of the day, talent is talent is talent. And um, I feel like for anyone who's a creative to have a long-term career, you know, they have to be able to do more than just take a pretty photo and they have to be able yep. to do more than just, um, you know, speak and articulate, you know, in, in front of a, a thousand people or on screen, they have to also recognize, you know, that social media is, is a huge thing and a, and a huge value add for them as well. Um, so yeah. So, you know, uh, I, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Do you just see that as heading in that direction? Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I think that, you know, that's something we definitely seek, um, are people that can kind of marry those two things really well. And I think as more and more people develop social followings um, and, you know, a lot of the content looks repetitive, it's really important to stand out. I think that um, I've noticed both internally at Refinery, we have, you know, internal editors and people that have a social presence. And what's interesting is, is now it's even important for people, um, you know, internally at my company to have a social following and to have a presence online. Um, and to make that kind of a part of their, you know, part of their, their, their job and their work. Um, but I think that as we look for talent, we're looking for that holistic person that has not only that can, you know, take a decent photo and maybe tell a cool story, but also has something else going on. So they don't just take a pretty photo. Um, I think those days are numbered. I, I think there's just too many people that can do that well. Um, and that it's really hard to cut through that noise. And so there has to be a story behind it. And I think brands are looking for that very much so. I think um, when we cast people on Refinery, that's definitely a very important part of what we're looking for is like, what is their story? Um, you know, what is their look? You know, what are they trying to say? But like, really, what is their story? Um, and that's a big part of how we cast talent. Yeah. And do you think that part of it is is substance? I mean, that's the word that sort of comes to mind when yeah. when I'm thinking about, you know, what you're saying. Substance. Is is that what you I do you agree with that? I um I also think the word I think 
expertise. I think people are interested in following people that have an expertise in something um, and that they're not just following people that, you know, might be being gifted a bunch of products, um, but aren't actually providing some sort of value to to their followers. And so I think people are looking for some sort of expertise and it, and it goes beyond, you know, fashion and beauty. You know, they might have expertise in law or in, in another category that, you know, might seem kind of arbitrary, but there's actually a lot of people interested in it and want to know about, you know, more about it. And so I think, um, I think substance is definitely a word, you know, I would use, but yeah, having some sort of expertise and, and real kind of point of view is, is I think the direction that this, is going. Yeah. And then, you know, with that expertise, they bring a certain level of credibility to this brand endorsement that they're making. So, you know, they yeah. can they can speak in a more educated way. And, you know, it, it, it's always a fine line between, you know, you're always you're plugging a brand if you're an influencer getting, you know, uh getting hired to promote, uh, do a brand endorsement, but you know, it's how you sell it. That's going to make it effective or ineffective. And, you know, to be mm-hmm. able to, to speak articulately because you're f- so familiar with it, or you, you know, you're in that world already. So you can provide, you know, examples of contrasting products and just like speak it as if it's your own vernacular. I mean, it, 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 it I've seen that be, you know, the the marker of a successful sale. It's a successful brand uh, association. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, talk to me a little about all this experience with a variety of different brands that Refinery works with, because I don't feel like you guys discriminate at all. Um, you know, what are some of the brands that you're working with or have worked with that are doing particularly great work with influencers? Like, what are they doing right? Um, that's a good question. So I think, um, you know, a lot of the brands that come to us are brands that are in need of, you know, some sort of creative overhaul, um, not just like maybe endorsing a new product, but really want to be thought of differently. Um, And so a lot of companies that have been around for a long time are are coming to kind of breathe new life into them. Um, And I think that's always really interesting. So I give credit to a lot of the, you know, companies that have been around for a really long time, um, like the Revlons of the world that are trying to be innovative and, you know, stay up with the times and, and be competitive when you have, you know, all these new brands that are, you know, e-commerce only um, and, you know, social first and, and, and try and figure out how to navigate the space. So I think there's a lot of traditional brands that are, that are doing the job and navigating the space really well. Um, and then I think there's, you know, some new brands that are doing incredibly well and really, um, and we haven't, we worked with her, but not with her brand, but I'm, really impressed with what um, Ariel Sharnas is doing with something Navy. I think it's a really interesting case study um, on a brand that has, you know, come out of her, her, her own personal journey as an influencer, but has done such a good job of crowdsourcing and being inclusive and creating a whole brand around her, you know, former blog name, but like actually creating this, incredible moment where she's selling product under a brand name that people already knew, but creating its own kind of special place. She has blog posts um, around, she has a community that people can submit information, photos, and, um, you know, she's created the baby line because she has two small children. Um, Just a really interesting kind of narrative and the fact that it's kind of spaced out and she's doing monthly, you know, monthly, um, uh, releases and just the whole concept, I think, is, is very brilliant. And it's interesting 
to see, you know, what other brands come out of it that are like this. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, kind of the, the it's, it's not just a capsule collection, and I think that's what's so interesting about it. Um, but the way in which they're approaching it is really, really intelligent. So um, I'm very closely following it and interested to see, like, where that goes yeah. um, and what other brands follow suit. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you're referencing, like, you know, a person who was native in this space to begin with. So, you know, interesting that, you know, just kind of essentially growing up in this space, natively learning maybe the do's and the don'ts and um, try by trial and error, potentially, because that's how we all kind of learned it in this industry. There's no guidebook on this or course, you know, or, or, you know, a degree in this. Um, But, you know, she's been incredibly successful. And I, I always feel like it's just a matter of really honing in on who your audience is and, and, you know, really cultivating a, a strong community community um, because you're gonna essentially you need that information to be able to to cater to them to be able to speak to them to be able to create um, product for them and to know what they really want so um, I feel like it's people who are just listening really well Um, those are the people Mm -hmm. who um, are are going to be you know or brands that are going to be really really successful in the space and it is I agree it's super admirable when you have like a brand that's been around for so long, like a Revlon or, you know, any of these like, you know, older brands. Um, and they're essentially, they see the value of influencer marketing. So they want to jump in on it. And it's really admirable of them to do so because, I mean, they're obviously successful already in their own right. And one can make the argument, well, they're obviously doing something right here. So maybe continue on that path, but, you know, to sort of challenge and push themselves to, you know, to be able to incorporate, um, a new direction of marketing, um, is really really admirable. But, um, you know, I think that uh, I think the question is, are they do they have the ability to listen to to listen to because it's a different style of marketing and advertising. Um, and that's the key difference, I think, um, with influencers. Um, you know, do you I'm sure you're giving advice to some of these brands or your team is or your company is for sure. And um, on, you know, what uh, what to, like best practices here um, in to order to make uh, a partnership really successful. And I you know, it's always a it's a um, it's a blend between the influencers vernacular and their message and the brand's vernacular and the brand's message. And it has to be a, a really finely tuned balance. So, you know, you're, you're coming at it from the brand side, but I appreciate about you guys that I do feel like you guys are also, um, you take care of influencers and you, you really, you know, you look out for them as well, which I think is really fantastic. So if you're speaking specifically to a brand though, you know, what sort of advice would you give them, um, in regards to, you know, if they're creating a, a campaign brief, they're creating a, a whole, you know, campaign around their brand, you know, what are best practices for them to keep in mind? Is it, you know, uh, how do they select their influencers? What should they look for? Um, you know, how, what's the best way to, to go about um, this whole campaign in order to just make it a success? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a difficult question. I feel like there's so many things, but um, I think it's important that brands really understand. And I know it sounds kind of silly, but it seems sometimes that we get briefs, but there really isn't, there's not clear branding points that differentiate one brand from another. So sometimes they'll they'll mention something, but it doesn't really stand out from, let's say, another competitor in the space. And I think it's really important that when you're working with influencers um, or obviously with anyone, but 
it's important that like we have good messaging points that people can really take and run with that they can translate to their followers to make them understand why this product is so much better than some of the other products. Sometimes we get these massive briefs that have so many talking points, none of which really are easy to kind of sift through. Um, and I think it's really important that it's clear and concise, um, that it makes sense to everyone. Um, and sometimes that doesn't happen. And sometimes the brand, I think, just isn't quite clear on exactly what their messaging is or they're trying to fit too many things into, um, you know, one campaign, which I think is when things fall apart. Um, I think it's very difficult to, to talk through too many messaging points or too many moments. Um, especially in influencer marketing. I think it's easy when it's a huge campaign and you have multiple components and you can kind of talk through it. But I think for a lot of the campaigns that we work on, you know, it needs to be, it needs to be clear and concise so that consumers can understand what they're getting out of it. That is such, um, such good advice. Because I feel like, yeah. you know, what I hear from, uh, as someone who's sort of like a middleman, um, you know, and, and speaking with both talent and brands or agencies on behalf of brands, you know, I feel like 2019 has been the year of, you know, moving more in the direction of longer term partnerships. And that could absolutely alleviate some of the issue that you're describing. Um, you know, cause you, you're not jam packing, you know, 20 bits of information into one, you know, one round of a campaign, but you know, you can spread it out. It can come across so much more organically. You can, you know, discuss all of those points more in depth and really drive them home in a much more organic way. Um, I think that's so such good advice, such uh, such good advice. Um, and then, um, yeah, and then I, I cut you off though. What were you also gonna? I think you're also gonna say something yeah, else no, too. Yeah, I think in terms of working with talent, I think it's really important to keep an open mind um, and to not just take a quick look at their feed or take a quick look at their at their engagement rate and, and assume that that's kind of their whole story. I think it's important to understand the story behind the person. Um, you know, and really who they are and what they stand for, um, and to encourage brands to, to push diversity as much as possible. Um, you know, ethnicity, um, size, um, you know, age, all those things. It's really important that, you know, we, and we very strongly, um, you know, push that. Um, but we have to push brands sometimes to, to see that. And I think we're very good about, um, providing options that are very inclusive. Um, but that's really, we have to be able to speak to more than just one person. Um, and so brands need to understand that. And I think oftentimes they need reminders of that. Well, that's, you know, that's like everyday America. I mean, it's also very interesting. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, like I'm based here in New York, you're based there in LA and, you know, we get sort of like big city centric a lot of the times. And, you know, it's so important to be, you know, inclusive and to, you know, really prioritize diversity. And I love it. It's not to you, you know, you're not just even talking about ethnic diversity. I feel like, you know, that at this day and age, like that should be the obvious, but you know, let's include body positive. Let's include LGBTQ. Let's include, you know, everybody to just see a really, you know, uh, an equal reflection of what, you know, who is in the, who's on the receiving end of, of this content. Um, because you've have plenty of people who um, who want this messaging, you know, plenty of people who, you know, are looking to buy that product and and simply mm -hmm. want someone to relate to. Um, and, you know, you can do that in a whole variety of different ways, but it starts with just putting an emphasis on it and really focusing on it. And um, like kudos to you guys for really prioritizing it. I think that's incredible. And you've always done that. So I think that's really great. 
Um, yeah, thank yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, talk to us a little bit about, you know, shifting gears a little bit. I love your uh, 29 room event <laughs> that you've got, you know, in multiple cities now running. And um, how long has it been running now? So I believe this is the fifth year. Mm-hmm. Um, this will be our fifth year. Um, and we are expanding this year. We're actually doing uh, six or seven markets this year. Wow. So we started with one, um, we expanded to two. Last year we did four, and this year we're doing seven in a slightly different way. But um, yeah, so we're doing seven different markets this year. Um, and we partnered with IMG, um, which should be uh, an amazing partner for this. Um, but yeah, we're bringing it to uh, many cities. I can't I can't um, disclose which ones yet, but um it should be coming to, you know, some more cities than, than, than historically. So it should be really fun. That's awesome. I mean, please tease it on this podcast. That's awesome. I want people to get super excited about it. And it's such a cool event. And um, I'm all about like an experience, right? I mean, it's such a it's it's great to take things offline and to, you know, have such a digitally focused company. Also, always appreciate, you know, an experiential um, component as well. And I'm so glad that it's been such a success for you guys. And it's expanding. I think that's so incredible. Like, you know, as a straight up consumer, not even somebody in this industry, you know, what's to why would they go to a 29 rooms? Like what's all the fun about? So when we started it, um, it actually was supposed to be an inclusive um, event around New York Fashion Week. So a lot of the events around New York Fashion Week are exclusive, um, and this is supposed to be an inclusive moment. Um, it then has morphed into um, an a experiential pop-up, but it's really more than just going in and taking photos. Um, and while obviously there are a lot of competitors now in the space, when we started, we were, we were first to market, but for us, it's really about partnering with incredible artists in different cities, um, partnering with organizations like Planned Parenthood, um, and partnering with brands to kind of bring their visions to life. Um, but there really is so much more than just going in and taking a photo. There's, um, experiences where, you know, you don't have your phone at all and you go in and you experience something like Cleo Wade talking to you, um, you know, in a beautiful space and, and reading an original poem um, or, you know, you're learning about, you know, learning about um, a cause or you're learning about an artist. Um, we did um, we did a collab with an artist in Chicago and it was a tribute to gun violence victims and it was absolutely beautiful visually, but it was also something, it was a really beautiful moment and, and um, you know, an homage to the city. Um, and so we, a lot of the experiences are more than again, just taking a photo. Um, and so I, I would say the biggest takeaway is that you learn something from the events um, and hopefully you get, you know, get to discover an artist that you didn't know um, and maybe something about that city that you didn't know. So um, I think it's a really um, amazing experience solely for that reason to, you know, expand, you know, your, your thoughts and, and kind of open your eyes a little bit. So um, that's why it's so cool. I mean, it is so cool. I think that it's like, it's such a like cultural moment um, within mm-hmm. its individual cities. And I'm so excited to hear that it's expanding into even more and more markets. I mean, it's essentially what we we're just talking about. I mean, it's like, it's like really honing into like all parts of, of America and just really, um, 
you know, giving people such a unique experience based on, you know, where they where they are in the country and that, you know, every Mm -hmm. part of the country has its own unique like flavor. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. so cool that, you know, Refinery29 is just like celebrating that and inviting, you know, artists and and people from, you know, each individual community to just like come together and celebrate that. So I'm always super excited to hear more about 29 Rooms. So I just wanted to share that with everybody. So thank you. Um, and you know, Refinery29, it's always been in my mind a predominantly female oriented publication. So obviously the women at whim are always really excited to hear more about that. Um, you know, I feel like, uh, I'd love for you to talk to me a little bit about that feminine spirit, you know, how you embrace that and the impact that you want to make as a strong woman yourself. Um, yeah, it's, I feel like it's such a hard question. Um, it is so coming from a background in investment banking where honestly it was predominantly men. Um, it's been so interesting to work at two companies where most of the employees are females. Um, and it's very interesting that my, you know, my ideas around working with lots of women, um, have been challenged. Um, and, you know, I really embrace it now, um, and I find it so exciting to help mentor um, younger women and to see what what this next generation looks like and, you know, how they can help us. I think, um, you know, it's a very collaborative organization. I think that um, we very much speak our voice, and I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, and we come up with ideas, and we have the ability to actually see them through and make things happen um, and make change. Um, and I think that's, you know, an incredible thing. Um, so I appreciate that, especially being at a you know, female-centric company. Um, I, I look up to a lot of our senior executives who um, are all, you know, working moms um, and kind of juggling all these things and making it work. And so I think it's a wonderful thing, you know, for me to obviously to see um, and also, you know, my, um, my team to be able to, you know, have good, strong female role models. Um, and I think that's, you know, probably the best part about working here um, is that there's a lot of women to look up to and partner with and, and work with. And um, it's a great environment for that. That's incredible. And not everybody um, has that, you know, I mean, yeah, people, the assumption is that, you know, there's a role model or, you know, a mentor for everyone. And I would venture to say it's pretty, it's actually the quite the opposite. Um, you know, yeah. when, when I hear people, you know, really value mentorship, I see people's eyes like get wider because I feel like there's so many women who are just like so hungry for that. So, um, you know, so, you know, let's get, let's get personal a little bit, you know, what are, what are, um, some of the big lessons that you've learned as a successful businesswoman? You know, what what advice would you give to other women who are listening to this podcast um, who want to be majorly successful in their careers? You know, how would you mentor them? Um, I would say um, I think working hard is really important. I think there's not really a shortcut um, to being successful and to creating great relationships and um, long-term success. I think it's really important that you work hard. I think, um, you know, we're in the age where everything kind of is instant gratification and people think they don't need to work hard or pay their dues. And I think that is not the case. Um, I think being humble is really important, understanding that you don't know everything. I don't know everything. Um, I'm always asking questions and, and 
you know, leveraging people, you know, even my coordinator, I learn a ton of stuff from her. Um, you know, I think it's important that you, you know, stay open to kind of always learning, but understanding that you don't know everything. Um, and so I would say that's like a really big thing and, and then finding balance in your life. So, um, you know, I definitely spent my early years of my career working 24 hours a day. Um, and now I work hard, but I definitely give myself time for me, um, which makes me a better employee and a better boss, um, you know, and hopefully, you know, a better, a better partner for everyone I work with. I mean, that's definitely if there's any through line that we hear fairly consistently on this podcast, it's, you know, work hard, but then ultimately find some balance, find some work life balance because of the like, the incredible importance of, of having that to be able to, you know, exactly what you said, it's just to be able to contribute in the in the best way. Um, you've got to have some balance in your life. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, as women, um, we're sort of built to just like, get it done. Um, and, you know, and, and sometimes a lot of us have to work harder than a lot of others who are maybe on their team or, or whatever the case is. But, um, you know, you got to take care of yourself at the end of the day. And, you know, there's, there's a lot more to life than work even. Um, and I think that some women are even a little scared to admit that or to say that because, you know, they want to be this successful career woman and they enjoy it and it's admirable, but, um, there's a lot more to life. And, um, I personally think that, you know, the, the more balance that you can find, the better you are in all areas of your life. I mean, that's, that's the key mm-hmm. to like, having, uh, having the life you want to live. So I think that's really, really great advice. And, um, to that point, um, you know, what, what do you wish that someone had told your younger self that would have given you a professional or personal advantage today? Um, I guess I would say, um, that you can kind of change your career at any given time. Um, I think when I first started, I was very nervous that I would never be able to get out of finance and I would never be able to do anything different. And I was afraid to take that leap. Um, And even though it was challenging and I had to kind of find my way and I had to take a huge pay cut and I had to kind of start over, um, you know, I'm, I'm happy I did it. And I'm glad that I like took the leap and, and kind of made that decision. And I think sometimes you have to take a little bit of risk. Um, And so Um, I wish I, like someone had told me that it would be okay and I would be fine to do that. Um, and obviously I ultimately did it, but, um, you know, I think it's good to hear that you can, you know, you have, you can change your life at any given day or moment. So, um, you know, not to hesitate and and be open to new ideas and new companies and, you know, new things if you want to do something else. Yeah. And to give yourself permission and, um, to just be open to that process. Um, I can sit here and ask you so many more questions. And I think that everyone listening probably has many of their own to ask you. So where can everyone find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, or you can find me on Instagram, Natasha Vacare. You can DM me and I'll respond. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Natasha, so much for joining us today. You were fantastic. Thank you everyone so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We love comments, so comment on this podcast and we may shout you out on our next episode. Join us next time and thanks for tuning in.